Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is time for searching the Scripture in the June July issue of Lutheran Witness. Searching Scripture with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. Pastor Oliphant, welcome to the Coffee Hour. Thank you so much. Hey, we're going to dig into God's Word in just a moment with Pastor Oliphant. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu live uncommon. In the June-July issue, we are continuing our study of Philippians. Pastor, what, what, how would you like to set us up and get us started? What would you like for us to know before we dig into the text today? So today we're going to be taking a look at, so all of Philippians has been dealing with you know, rejoicing, Paul being thankful, telling the Philippians to be thankful as well. This one, we're going to see him take a slightly different direction where he's not going to be talking about being thankful for particular things, but being thankful for other Christians specifically. So we'll be taking a look just at uh, just a handful of verses today, but there's a lot to unpack in. All right. Shall we start with question one? Yeah. Let's do the, maybe, well, let's see. Read Philippians 2, verse 19 to 24. Paul says that he hopes to send Timothy to the Christians in Philippi. Timothy has become an invaluable partner to Paul in preaching the gospel. It seems that the congregation in Philippi was already familiar with this young associate of Paul. They would recognize him as having Paul's stamp of approval and would trust him to carry Paul's words to them. Paul himself would hopefully arrive shortly after Timothy's arrival. And then read Acts 16 verses 1 through 6. How did Paul and Timothy first meet? And read Paul's words to Timothy much later in 1 Timothy 1 verse 2. How much did Paul come to trust and rely upon Timothy? So maybe let's start with the first part of that. All right. So we'll start out with Philippians 2, 19, the following verses, since that's what, since we're digging into Philippians. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So we have this, we get the impression here that the they would be familiar with Timothy, that at this point in Paul's ministry, they've kind of become a duo that, that the church is aware of. And so for him to say that he'll be sending Timothy to them soon, uh, we can understand here that anything that Paul has to say, he can entrust to Timothy and he'll be a reliable messenger. He won't be adding to the message. He won't be taking anything out that he thinks the Philippians might not want to hear. But everything that Timothy has to say will be right out of Paul's mouth. He really does put uh, invest an enormous amount of trust in Timothy as we're going to see, and Timothy is going to be sort of, we kind of get the impression that Paul's even under the impression that Timothy is going to be something of a forerunner for him, that he'll be showing up, he'll be giving them news about how Paul's trial is going, about how things have been going in Rome while he's under house arrest, because remember, Paul's not free to travel himself right now. But he, 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 Paul has this, this, I don't know, encouragement that if he sends Timothy here, that he'll hope to to be able to follow right behind. So if, the, if Timothy shows up, the Philippians know that that the big guy is coming next. So they're, so they're looking forward to that. 
they Paul and Timothy meet in an interesting way. It's this in Acts 16, where Paul comes to Derby and to and to Lystra, and there's a disciple there named Timothy who he meets. He's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, so Timothy would have been familiar with the with the scriptures. But his father was a Greek, so he's in this mixed household, which means that Timothy had not undergone the Jewish rite of circumcision, which be ex- which would be expected of Jewish men at that point, even throughout the entire Mediterranean world. But his father, because he's a Greek, he hasn't undergone this. But he's well spoken of by all of the believers, all of the Christians that are in the towns around there. And Paul's impressed with Timothy, and he wants him to come along with him. And we can kind of this is this pattern that we can see emerging throughout the church where you'll have a pastor in a place and he'll be able to kind of get a sense for who's going to be apt to continue on in studies, who's going to move forward in a service to the church. And so he invites Timothy to come with him, essentially to shadow him, to learn more. Remember, Paul has rabbinical training as well, so he has a lot to offer Timothy as far as instruction in the scriptures. And also the fulfillment of those scriptures. Paul has limited time in all of these places that he's stopping in these missionary journeys, including Derby and Lystra. And so he's going to want to have Timothy with him you know, 24 hours a day. And we see this even still in the structure we have for training for church work now, where you'll have people that are just immersing themselves or breathing the, the scriptures or conversations at the lunch and dinner table are about that. It seems like that's all anybody ever wants to talk. And then they go home and visit their families and and their families kind of get an earful too. And so it, but we see this pattern is kind of continuing in the church and we see it set here pretty well by Paul, who of course is just following in Jesus's footsteps as he brings his disciples with him for three years. But then Paul, of course, has Timothy and takes him. And then because Paul knows that they're going to be going to mainly Jewish communities throughout the Roman empire, he does have Timothy circumcised so as not to cause any kind of scandal or put up any unnecessary roadblocks. This is something that Timothy is willing to do freely to enter into this this outer sign of the covenant if it's going to get a foot in the door to be able to speak to, to potential believers in Christ, those who are going to be able to hear the scriptures and understand them. And so then we, at the end of this passage, we have Paul wants him to accompany him they make their way through the cities. They deliver for them the observant, for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was that very first synodical conference that they ever had, or convention that they ever had. So they reached some pretty important decisions, and Paul and Timothy get to bring those decisions. Remember, this is a time that where there's no mass communication and not even any rapid communication. And so Paul and Timothy are going to be the, the footmen carrying that. And it says they go throughout the entire region of Phrygia and Galatia. And so they're going. So Paul and Timothy are getting to be pretty well known in Asia Minor, which is where Philippi is going to be located. This all sounds very similar to the conversations we have in our Set Apart to Serve series, where we talk mm-hmm. about encouraging both young people and second career people to consider church work vocations. Everything except the circumcision part. Everything else right. sounds very similar. Right. Yeah. Well, Paul okay. does have some things to say about that in Galatians, yes. and in his dealings with another one of his students, Titus, he he actually forbids Titus from from undergoing circumcision because people are putting too much emphasis on salvation for it, that he would be saved by doing that. So Paul does put his foot down when the gospel is at stake. All right. We ready for question two? Yeah. 
All right. Read Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30. Here we meet Epaphroditus, another servant of the gospel. Although he is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, we can gather from these verses that Epaphroditus was the Philippians' messenger to Paul. He was also entrusted by the congregation to bring their gifts to Paul while he was under arrest in Rome. We also learn that while he was with Paul, Epaphroditus became extremely ill and almost died. Paul did not want to leave the Philippians in suspense, wondering about the health of Epaphroditus. So Paul says that he will send Epaphroditus home to Philippi at once. He was very likely the one carrying this letter to the city of Philippi. How would this trial of Epaphroditus strengthen his own faith and the faith of the Philippians? All right, so Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30. All right, Paul writes, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So I receive him in the Lord with all so receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Epaphroditus appears to be the messenger that was sent to carry the financial gift and the greetings from the congregation in Philippi. And er, Remember that this, again, as we mentioned earlier, this, this isn't a time of mass communication or rapid communication. So there might have been some correspondence that went back and it just said, hey, Epaphroditus is sick. And that's all that they had. They're, that he's very, very ill or that he's starting to get ill. And you know, that can, it's sort of like when you get that text message that says, we need to talk. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, that's the, I need more information, right? So... It was something sort of like that. They probably likely had received correspondence to that effect. And so Paul is going to say, I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to tell you that he's okay, but I'm also going to send him back to you. And this is going to be a twofold, twofold thing because the congregation of Philippi knows Epaphroditus. So they're going to know that what they receive is actually from Paul's hand. This was a very common thing back then. You would send your letter with a trusted messenger who frequently would have something sort of like a cover letter introducing them if they didn't know them and vouching for their credentials. Of course, if, they are, if, the, if the people who are receiving the letter already knew them, like the Philippians knew Epaphroditus, they could skip the cover letter, which is why we don't have one of those for Philippians. But we have Paul saying he's going to send them back. That, and I mean, just kind of notice the, the, the kind of glow that Paul has when he writes about Epaphroditus, that he would have had sorrow upon sorrow if Epaphroditus had died of his sickness. That, and this is Paul who understands about eternal life and going to be with the Lord, but he doesn't want to be separated from Epaphroditus at this point. But he, uh, he has this joy that God had mercy on him, that he's going to be able to continue to serve the church and he's going to be able to continue to be with Paul. And so he writes that he's all the more eager to send him so that the Philippians can rejoice too. So remember, this letter is about joy and thanksgiving. And, and Paul's showing them you can, you can be glad for your fellow Christians when something good happens and when you get to see them again. You know, the, the, 
summer is a time for we have a lot of reunions so we can we can imagine what's going on here in the the hearts and the minds of the philippians as they're getting to see people they haven't seen for a long time and also so that paul can be less anxious and we can see this that this trial that epaphroditus went through this cross that he had to carry this cross of illness it was not pleasant at the time for anyone it wasn't for the philippians it wasn't for epaphroditus himself and paul himself was anxious and that's how crosses go Right. Jesus tells us to bear our cross, and nowhere does it say that the cross is going to be light or easy. In fact, that's not what crosses are. Crosses are instruments of execution. They're miserable to suffer under while you're under them. Of course, on the other side of it, we have resurrection, we have mercy, where God will deliver us, and our faith is actually strengthened through those things. So Epaphroditus, I mean, imagine what he learned from this uh, the prayer of the saints in Philippi upon hearing that he was sick and the prayers of Paul that he, when he's with him right then, that there's this recognition that God really does save his people in very concrete ways. It's not, I think sometimes we get a little mixed up just talking about these metaphorical or purely spiritual things, but we're creatures of body and soul. And so God's mercy there is extended to both. And so Paul's faith is strengthened. And then, of course, the Philippians, when they get to see Epaphroditus again and they hear the good news that he's been healed, of course, they recognize that, hey, God is listening to us and we're able to do all of these. We're able to receive Epaphroditus back and have all of this joy. We are continuing our look at Philippians in Searching Scripture in the June-July issue of The Lutheran Witness with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others. To live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world. To live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are searching scripture with Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. We are in Philippians chapters 2 and making our way into chapter 3 today. Pastor, anything, any other comments or any other thoughts before we go on to question 3 for this for this study? I probably have already spoken way too much about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So question number three, notice how Paul, no, notice how open Paul is in expressing his feelings of joy at these fellow workers in the gospel. Read Philippians 2, 25 through 30, and note all the places where Paul rejoices in what God is doing through his friends and colleagues. What fellow Christians can you thank God for in your life? So, I mean, just kind of looking at the way that, that, Paul discusses these two co-workers in the gospel with him, Timothy and Epaphroditus, where he writes that he has no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, that he talks about Timothy being like a, a son to him. And he repeats that in his letter to Timothy. 
when he's instructing him how to be a, a, a steady, solid, steadfast pastor. And Epaphroditus here, talking about how that, that he has this joy in Epaphroditus, that he's sad to be parted from him. But remember, he's also said that he's hoping to go to Philippi. So Epaphroditus and Timothy are going to go, and he's, he's hopeful that he'll be able to see them again when he goes back. And so we have this, we have these, just these glowing terms that Paul has. He's not afraid to, to write that he, he really loves these fellow Christians. I think that we all have Christians like that too. People that we have in the communion of saints that we, that, you know, we confess every week in the creed that we have the communion of saints and they do help strengthen us. They strengthen our confession. They teach us, but they also are just there, you know, to, to give us joy that God actually does put these people around us so that we can recognize his hand in everything. You think about the, the way that you become friends with someone in the church. It very rarely is it like actively plotted and mapped out, but it'll just kind of be by God arranging these things. We, some people call it luck or circumstance. So we can call it providence in the church because God really is in control of everything. But these, these friends that we have in the church that we're just happy to spend time with. Some of my best friends are pastors that I went to seminary with, that I, all the way back to summer Greek, I was talking to, to someone earlier that one of my friends who's a, a pastor in the area, we've known each other for over 20 years. We were randomly assigned to be roommates at Christ Academy when we were in high school. And then I realized 20 years, we've been roommates multiple times throughout the, throughout those years. Like it's just, it's just remarkable that God puts these people around us to help support us in all sorts of different ways. And Paul, Paul's not afraid to talk about that. I think that we can be thankful and we can be honest and open about that too. Yeah, it's kind of great how God puts people in our lives in ways that if we tried to do it ourselves, it wouldn't have worked out nearly as well. Like exactly. he's the only one that can do that for us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Question four. Read Philippians 3 verse 1. After giving them several responses to rejoice, Paul again instructs the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. It does not bother Paul to repeat himself. Why is this a good thing according to Paul? How can good reputation help us understand what happens in the divine service and in our personal devotional lives? All right. So Paul writes, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. He said this a lot of times. He's saying it again. <laughs> to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. We have this, this understanding that the way we learn things is by repetition. And so we can see this repetition in the lectionary where we have these readings that are repeated every one year or every three years. We have this repetition in the liturgy where we have the same words of scripture repeated in our hymnody that we have these phrases that show up. That's one of the things that I love about having the, the kids in our congregation. We sing these songs like we just sang for Ascension. You can always hear the kids jump in with the phrases, Alleluia, that are at the end of each phrase because they've heard it so many times it's locked in. And so they're able to just jump in, even if they're not reading music or even reading words yet. So Paul's saying here that it's no trouble for him to repeat himself. It's safe for the Philippians that this is, this is good, safe grazing pasture that they can, they can stay inside the fence. They can continue to draw sustenance from it and be strengthened by it. And that uh, they'll, they'll always have more to learn, even if it's the same stuff repeated over and over again. 
Yeah, that's one of the nice things about having those readings that come up constantly through the church here is I'll never run out of stuff to preach on them. I mean, I hope I won't. I, ho- I hope that I hope that I will be actively engaged enough with it to never run out of things to say about certain passages of scripture. But no, it just shows that important repetition, just kind of returning to them in devotions, returning to them in divine service so that we can, we can draw more and more from it. And Paul's encouraging the Philippians here to do that exact thing. I, I, I don't know too many pastors who, who don't like to repeat things, particularly when, it, when it's something good in God's word. All of God's word is good. But when it's something <laughs> that we, we need to hear repeatedly from God's word, most pastors yeah. are, are willing to repeat it occupational hazard yeah. <laughs> and usually not repeat it succinctly in my experience and in, in my own practice, unfortunately. <laughs> well, Pastor, final thoughts on today's text. And now this is the June-July issue. So this covers us for June and July. So that means we don't talk again until August. Anything else on this Philippians text or, or any of the other texts that we looked at today to wrap it up? You know, Paul is willing to look in every single corner of his life to find reasons to rejoice and give thanks to God. And that this thankfulness is really an attitude that preserves us and strengthens our faith. Because when we approach everything with thankfulness and joy for what God is giving us there, whether it's other people or whether it's something in a service, or if it's the basic things that we need to live that Luther talks about in the first article of the catechism, that all of these things, when we have them, it helps keep our focus on where it is that we're receiving them, the giver of the gifts, and that that's actually good and safe for our faith. And so, so don't be afraid to, to you know, take joy in the little things, the things that seem little, because those are all gifts from God. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Pastor, for studying God's Word with us. You get a little, a little break, a little vacation in July. <laughs> Well deserves some time and looking forward to studying God's word with you again in August. Thanks, Pastor. All right. Thank you. Pastor Tony Oliphant of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Elmhurst, Illinois, helping us search the scripture in the June-July issue of The Lutheran Witness. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.